What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Eastern Current. We've got a great guest on tonight, and we're talking about something that I'm very passionate about, um, and I, I get a lot of requests um, about this topic. But before we get into into that, uh, I want to just share with y'all, uh, if you do love our podcast and you want to help um, support financially, um, as well as, as have some extra content and some early access to content, uh, please go check out our Patreon account. It will be linked in the YouTube um, description and the show notes of on any of the podcast platforms. Also, go check out Eastern Current Fishing. It's a Facebook group uh, for our listeners. It's just a great way to connect with everybody. Um, kind of download there on Facebook. It just makes it easy for everybody to you know be a community together. So um, we are bringing on today um, my good friend Joe, and he is going to talk to us a lot about um, you know kind of the issues that our state's fishery is facing. Um, and, and I just think I have so many people email me and, and ask. Because I do, I am very vocal about you know what I think you know are some issues that we have here in our state, and um, you know other other than you know trying to get the word out there, I, I don't always have the best places to point people as far as hey, this is what something you can tangibly do right now. But um, Joe's going to share with us you know kind of a, a ways that we can all help uh, financially and just be a voice for our fishery, which doesn't have a voice for itself. So. I'm going to stop rambling here and bring on our good friend. Let me I forgot to set this scene. Let me make sure it works. Joe, what's going on, man? Hey, Joe, how you doing today? Doing good, doing good. I uh, yeah. I, I told Joe we would record this at 1 o'clock, and I totally slipped on it <laughs> with the new baby. Things are crazy. And uh, here we are recording it at 9 o'clock tonight. So uh, we are uh, we had to get no this problem. one in here, though, and we're excited to do it. So you, have you had a good day? Good day. Hot day. It's been hot here God, in East North Carolina for sure. I mean, hot. Yeah. It was hot here too. We uh, we were kind of hunkered down. We were uh, it was my sister in law's birthday, and so we were kind of celebrating that today. And uh, we 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 stayed out of the heat for the most part. But um, it's got, it seems like you got quite a few fish back there. Some big speckled trout. How big is that speckled trout on the wall for for those people that can't see it? Yeah, he was just shy of eight pounds. My nice. largest largest to date. Yeah. What did he eat? Ice fish. Um. Actually, a uh, 17 uh, mirror lure. Awesome. Uh, and on December the 16th, it was a, a cold 32-degree day. Um, and just, yeah, just one of those days, just things happen right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it, it seems like it's those weird, funky days where you really don't want to be fishing. Not funky days, but just kind of nasty weather when you, when you catch those big trout. And then you start talking to other people that were out trout fishing that day, and, and everyone kind of like, you know, not everyone, but that those are the days those fish get caught, it seems like. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was ice on the water that morning. You wouldn't have really guessed it, but it just you just never know sometimes. Right. You never know. You have to be out there throwing the baits. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, cool. Well, let's uh, let's hear a little bit of your backstory. And I know we talked pre-show about uh, we're going to do some, some another podcast or two um, together, but, but I want, before we kind of jump into... Um, the backstory of our fishery and, and the issues that we're mm-hmm. facing today, I, I think it's important that people know who you are and, and, and uh, you know, so I want, I'll just share share a little bit of your story and how it's brought you to where you are now. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate you having me uh, this Definitely. evening. But, um, yeah, it, it, I've made my career in the outdoors. And, and I'll take you back to uh, the late 70s, uh, mid-70s, um, when I started outdoor writing and, and still photography. That's where I really started writing mainly for re- local papers that were at, uh, being published at the time, mainly about Eastern North Carolina fishing and hunting, and um, pretty much grew from there. I, I met and uh, became good friends with Frank White, who uh, started the Southern Sportsman uh, Outdoor Television Series. It ran for 
22 seasons. Uh, he had a really good run. Um, and toward, uh, let's see, it was the late 70s into the uh, 80s, uh, early 80s, over about six years. Um, I did a lot of the, the filming for him, mainly in eastern North Carolina, a little bit in South Carolina. Um, and really got my uh, experience in what I call moving pictures. Up to then, I was shooting stills, okay. uh, 35 millimeter. And from there, you know, over that period of time, just kind of picked up the trade, uh, moved on from there and started a video production company, which started in the late 80s. Um, and over a period of three years, um, I lived in Charlotte at the time, we traveled around the world, uh, shot 19 videos, um, exotic places like Africa, uh, two safaris, uh, Alaska trips. We went up to Alaska eight times. Uh, been on an offshoot of Amazon River for peacock bass. Wow. And then a, just a good variety of things over those three years. Um, in 1990, um, moved back to Greenville and started the production company that I currently have still today. Um, 1993, we started Carolina Outdoor Journal. And um, had a really great 24 season run of that, um, which brought us up to what, three years ago. The show's still airing and will be continuing to air on UNC TV uh, in perpetuity. Uh, just signed a contract with them a year ago to, um, they'll be continuing to air our high definition shows that we started um, 16 years ago. Um, and um, we're really excited about that. So they won't disappear. Nice. Um, so we just, it's just been a, because I ask, get asked quite often, how do you get into it? How'd you get into it? And But for me, it was a career. I mean, it was a stepping stone all the way up and um, had some great opportunities to see outdoors around the world and particularly here in North Carolina. Um, over those um, 24 seasons, uh, over 400 shows uh, just here in North Carolina. So that just shows you the variety of, of opportunities we have here in North Carolina. Yeah. The first 10 years, we actually covered hunting. And then when we switched to high definition, um, I just opted to go strictly fishing because I wanted to capture as much fishing as I could. Because at that point in time, I didn't know how long it's long would be on the air. But uh, UNC TV has been a great partner to work with and uh, continues to air the show. And lots of people have enjoyed it. So we've been been very lucky. Yeah, that's awesome. I have a lot of clients uh, that, that ask about that show and ask if I've seen that show. Um, and I'm like, of course, it's like a staple of the outdoorsman <laughs> here in North Carolina. So uh, it's cool that, that, that they're going to be continued on through this this new platform. And it's awesome that UNC TV has carried them for so long. But yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's let's uh, go into and, and kind of take that as a segue into, you know, some of the, the issues that we have here as a fishery. I think we should just jump right into it um, and kind of tell us about this group that you all started and, and kind of the, the vision and the goal um, for for that <laughs> yeah the group the group you're speaking of is the north carolina uh, coastal fishery reform group nccfrg uh we started in 2009 august 2009 uh it was a group of uh recreational fishermen and guides who got together and said you know we <laughs> we've got we've got to step in and, and, and make our voices heard we're, we're losing this fishery we, we literally if we're not careful we're going to lose it and at that point in time we'd already lost some of it and um, so, it, you know, my, my involvement dates back prior to that, back in the um, mid-90s, late-90s um, issues on the Albemarle Sound with striped bass. And, um, but in 2009, we, we banded together and, and started um, uh, getting involved. And the first thing we did was to uh, put up the possibility of, uh, of a game fish bill 
that would incorporate uh, red drum and speckled trout. And uh, quickly going through this, we, we made the attempt through the Marine Fisheries Commission at the time. This was 2009. And we're told that they could not do anything about that, that we had to go through the legislature. So we, uh, the following year, it took us you know, six or eight months to put a bill together and then find support uh, in the legislature. And when you do a bill like that, you have to have members, a member or several members of the legislature get behind you. And we had that going in, but it didn't last very long. Um, as soon as the word got out on the street, what we were trying to do, uh, it never made it out of um, committee. It, it never was heard. And um, so that, that took a whole year of effort and to, for naught. We didn't get anywhere with it. So so the following year we handed it over to the cca and for the next two or three years they made the same attempt they uh they they, they went to the legislature just like we were that's the only way we could do it and they spent a lot of time and money and energy trying to get it through the legislature and to no avail um and so subsequently um you know up until now there's been many efforts of change to to, to try to, to establish some change that would benefit the resource. This all kind of really, it started back in the late 80s, uh, excuse me, in the early 80s, uh, and precipitated through the 80s. And then, um, but in 1997, uh, there was an attempt made, or not an attempt, there was a law passed actually. Uh, and it was written with good intentions to start with. But I won't call any names, but there was a powerful senator at the time that, um, the only way he would allow it to pass was he had to go in and change some things. And you could, I could sit here for hours and tell you to what extent it was changed, but suffice it to say that the term status quo became really popular moving forward. The, the bill was designed to keep everything just as it was then. And here we are 23 years later, and it's, it served its, its purpose. Nothing's right. changed with a few things here and there, but ultimately the things that needed to be changed, mainly certain gears used commercially. Um, and and we, we can talk about the recreational side of it too, uh, but things that needed to be changed and changed quickly, it, that's, that bill was never designed, designed for that. You had to, everything of major importance would have to go through the legislature. And hey, <laughs> As you can, if you go to our website, it's it's the chart we did uh, that we made up shows from 1999 to present day the attempts that were made by groups and individuals to to create some change in certain yeah. areas of the fishery, and it just never it, it's never happened. So uh, here we are uh, on the verge of filing a federal lawsuit um, because of that, but more importantly, since November of 19, excuse me, of 2019, we have had nobody within state government willing to sit down and even talk to us. Now, we started in November um, with our website putting it up, and in January, formally sent, it, sent in a request to meet both with the governor and with the Division of uh, Environmental Quality, DEQ, mm-hmm. which the Division of Marine Fisheries is under, under that. Uh, we uh, simply wanted, we're asking for a meeting to sit down and discuss the issues. And to date, we have had no co- uh, conversation with anybody. And so um, we didn't have any choice. Uh, we're, we're on the doorsteps of a federal court lawsuit that's within two weeks. And um, 
still haven't heard a word so far. Yeah, that's uh, that's frustrating. What do you think is the reason overall that we just haven't been able to see change in our state? If that's a question you're comfortable answering. Like, you know, there's been all these attempts and there's been all these issues and obviously we have some serious you know, depletion of stock and resource of, you know, resources here in North Carolina. Why do you think it's taken us so long to jump on the, you know, let's call it the bandwagon because so many other states have decided to, you know, ban, you know, certain things we're talking about and, and push restrictions. But why, why are we behind? Right. Well, again, I'm, I'm so close to this federal lawsuit that uh, I'm not, I'm really not comfortable yeah yeah laying it out at this point no no, no that, that's fine we'll, we'll have time to come back and, and get more into it but but suffice it to say the 97 law you know that's kind of the crutch everybody falls back on that yeah here's this law that was signed by governor jim hunt yeah that was going to fix everything and in, in contrast it it made things worse yeah i mean that's that's literally what came of that and so my take on the legislature you've got 175 members of that legislature that most of them couldn't tell you the difference between a gray trout and a speckled trout and how they're expected to make decisions on fisheries laws see that needs to change that that's that law needs to be completely completely abolished or rewritten to the extent that it puts the resource first now i'm i've always been that way i'm a recreational fisherman by definition but my track record in the past, whether it has to do with ducks or a river system or anything, I'm going to put the resource first. I'm not anti-development. I'm not anti-commercial fishing. In fact, I've got friends that commercial fish. I've got friends that have had to leave the, the, the industry because they can't make a living at it anymore. So that's not it at all. And I'm glad to have the opportunity to, you know, to, to be able to tell people this because it's the truth. Yeah. Uh, you know, unless we take care of the resource, the resource is not going to take care of us period, yeah. whether you're a recreational fisherman or a commercial fisherman. And so what we're, what we're hitting at first is a piece of commercial gear that should never have been allowed to come within the barrier islands of the sound, of our sounds. Should never, and these are these big industrial sized ocean going, designed for the ocean, sea, um, uh, shrimp trawlers. Uh, they have done more to set this state back, not only for the recreational community, but I'd say more importantly for the commercial industry. When you look at what's done to certain species of fish, and we can get into those in a few minutes, but um, that, that's it in a nutshell. I, I, you know, it's, we need to revamp the system and let professionals make the decisions on how to manage our fisheries. It shouldn't be a political decision. Right. And a lot of that's had to do with politics, bar none. For sure. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about if you can lay out for people, because I know, uh, you know, a lot of hardcore anglers and guides and whatnot could, could put their finger on each one of the issues that, that maybe our, we could say our state has, but share with people that are listening kind of some of the, you know, the main issues that we're dealing with here in North Carolina and some of the main fish that are struggling from, from some of our, um, you know, the, some of the things going on. Okay. Well, let's just start with what, what this lawsuit coming up is all about. Yep. And it's about the, the big boats, what I just mentioned back when I was in my teens, back in the, um, early 70s uh, through the 70s um, I enjoyed going out in Pamlico Sound and catching gray trout they were everywhere all sizes too I mean there were areas in Pamlico Sound certain times of the year you could catch six to eight pound gray trout wow unbelievable lots of gray trout lots of croaker anybody that's ever fished for croaker 
that are you know pound and a half pound and three quarters will tell you they'll fight almost as good maybe in some cases a little bit better than a red drum um they were everywhere spot were everywhere so they were the big three of the pamlico sound okay that's what they were known as uh not only were they a recreational sought after fish but they were commercially sought after fish because those three fish made up the base of your um rest restaurant fare when you went into a restaurant in moorhead city ocracoke um um, seafood restaurants inland, Kenston, Goldsboro, they used to have these fish houses people used to go to, and then and you could go in and get a place of seafood, really, really reasonable. Well, croaker spot and great trout made up the majority of, of, uh, of those uh, species that were available because they were reasonably priced. You could right. go out in, in, in the commercial industry, they were netted out in the sound, and, and they caught enough of them. So, um, that was until the introduction of these big boats and ever since the big boats went in every you know since then it's been a, a gradual decline and it's it's appalling when you look at the catch levels say from 1981 uh to present on the big three on this croaker spot and gray trout um it's just unbelievable where we are now i think it's like it was like 30 37 million pounds back in 81 and it drops I think this, in 2015 it was 2.5 million of the wow. three those three together I mean a tremendous amount of um, loss um, subsequently here in the last few years we've noticed a decline in our annual fall spot runs to almost non-existence uh, you know they just don't they don't all the peers used to have have th thousands tens of thousands that run the coast in the fall that's almost disappeared uh, gray trout, for sure, have disappeared, um, and they had some issues offshore in the commercial fishery too that uh, lended to that problem too. But, but when you're when when you're killing the the young of the year, you know the two and three inch juvenile fish like we've been killing, what do you expect? And right. it's, it really has finally caught up with us. So, so those three are are the are the signature or the um, the three that that are in the scope right now on this lawsuit. Yeah. Okay because of the volume of bycatch levels that these big boats do that's and i can't go into the details of the lawsuit but right, uh, right. we feel really good about it um so it's the big boats okay and that's in this so that's where where we are with that right now um and then you go and look at yeah speckle trout back then back in the 70s speckle trout red drum um other than the big red drum that used to hit the beaches and they still do at, at hatteras and ocracoke and portsmouth island other than the big big drum, uh, the smaller drum have gone up and down through the years because they've been targeted commercially and and with gear. Um, and then striped bass, and then they, that striped bass has its own history. Yeah, you know, right now the only place that you can legally catch, and I think the seasons are closed right now on the um, the Roanoke system, the Albemarle Sound, uh, seasonal openings for those that that group of striped bass. The other three major rivers are closed. Yeah. So, I mean, you just look at the um, stock status reports, and they're they're listed on the Division of Marine Fisheries website. That tells you everything. I mean, we, <laughs> it's it's really sad. It's what it is. And and to not have anybody in government willing to sit down and talk to you about it, that's really the sad part about it. So, you know, that's forced us to do what we have had to do for the last eight eight or nine months. 
um, is, is get ready for this. Yeah. So, uh, it's uh, it is a very frustrating, you know, thing because it's it's it really is people that just care about the resource and just want it to be something that's around for, for you know, the future and for you know our, our kids and future generations. Um, and, and a point that was shared with me that I've kind of taken the mindset of is if if we can't, you know, if your everyday person can't go down and catch a redfish or a trout or a flounder. To bring home and, and have for dinner with their son, you know. Let's just. I, I just think we that we should be managing for that person first. Really, is like is my opinion. You know, just the everyday taxpayer that wants to go down to the beach and go catch a redfish and or go catch a spot or go catch a gray trout and um, it's just you've got, you got to be pretty dialed in now to go catch those fish. Um, it's it's not well, you do and, and and I understand. Yeah, your clients, y'all think you really have a lot of sport fishermen that they fish with you, right? I mean, they I go do. for red run, they go for speckled trout, go for striped bass. But the average fisherman that likes to go down with shrimp, you know, bottom rig, there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a croaker or a spot. I right. mean, a lot of people that would rather eat a spot than they would a speckled trout or a red drum. Yeah. Um, that's the part of the fishery. See, the, the way I look at it too, when you have your whole fishery healthy, then you spread everybody out. Right now, if, if the speckled trout, if we hadn't had a history-making run of speckled trout, spotted sea trout, in the past fall, winter season, what else would you have been catching? You can't keep striped bass now. Uh, you can only keep one red drum. Croaker spot and gray trout are, are, as far as catching and taking them home to eat, are almost non-existent. Right. Flounder, flounder, which happens to be probably the most popular fish of them all, now we're closed until August. Yeah. Uh, the commercials can't even fish till September. That's exactly what <laughs> what really has driven this lawsuit. Back in September, I woke up one morning and I said, "Okay, that's it." When when they took flounder off the list for commercial fishermen and for the recreational fishermen, I said, "That's it. That is it. We have got to do something right now, or this we're losing everything." And that's that's really what's brought our group for, first and for, foremost into this uh, front and center is that we've had enough. This is it. You know, if, if we had to shut the whole fishery down until we get it right, we'll shut it down. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. I, I think that shutting. I mean, I, I'm not against shutting something down if we feel like it's going to help out for sure. It's the resource can't speak for itself. Uh, us as anglers and concerned anglers and you know, anglers that are focused on conservation and preservation of the fishery. You know, we need to be the voice of, of our fishery here and our and of our resource. Um, tell me this, because this is something I'm unsure of. Those the trawlers and the ocean going trawlers that are in, in off the beach that are they're targeting shrimp. But are, are I know that they the bycatch is very bad with those trawling boats um, or with the trawlers. Are they keeping gray trout and all that stuff too? You know, are they targeting that, or it's just it's like small baby fish bycatch that's just being killed? It's it's all it's all shrimp. Um, that's the target species. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, um, because of the size of the gear that they're using. Um, now, let's jump back to the Pamlico Sound real quick, and then we'll jump in the ocean. Yeah. The uh, the Pamlico Sound is very shallow, as most people know. You know, probably the deepest water. There's some holes that are 20, 25 feet in some places, but for, for the most part, it averages about 15 to 18, somewhere in there, across the whole body of it, till you get to the edges, and it, then it really shallows up. 
So there's only certain areas that they can trawl in. Unfortunately, the places they like to trawl in happen to be the nursery areas for gray trout, spotted uh, gray trout, uh, croaker, and spot. Uh, it's the deeper water areas of the sound. Well, when these industrial boats, size boats come in, they can they can pull four 55-foot nets. They're called four bangers. They're four 55-foot nets, which add up to 220 feet, which is legal in North Carolina right now. Now, you can't go anywhere else in the country in inshore waters and, and, and do that. Nobody else allows that. Louisiana, um, in their inshore waters, uh, allows 50-foot uh, uh, nets, excuse me. Uh, and then they have, right near their barrier islands, they go to 110, which would be 255s. So, all right, so inshore right now we allow, okay, so uh, each boat can pull four nets. So you bring in boats from all up and down the East Coast and from the Gulf Coast. We have boats in here from Louisiana, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina. They're allowed to come in within our barrier islands and, full, and pull these four, uh, four nets. Um, over a period of time, <laughs> and some of them actually run at times run four and five abreast. That's four or five boats side by side, pulling all these nets. It's amazing to me that there's anything left out there. Period. Um, I think some of that has to do with the fact that we do have some areas that they, they can't pull in, so there is some relaxation of of, of, of the uh, impacts on the fish. But but uh, but their their bycatch levels are just and we've got the numbers i mean the numbers are astounding uh we're talking we're not talking over the last 10 years we're not talking millions we're talking about billions of little three two to three four inch gray trout spot croaker these are juvenile fish they, they spend time in our inland waters when they get to a certain size they exit the inlets into deeper water where they spend a certain amount of time, and then they'll eventually work, work, work their way back into the inshore waters, um, like you know, to, near the beaches, along the piers, in the inlets. Um, the one thing that most people don't realize, too, that shrimp that grow up in our inshore waters all leave and go in the ocean. They, don't, they, don't, they can be caught in the ocean. They're larger, and they bring a better uh, price in the market for the, for the commercial fishermen. The reason they like to hit them in the Pamlico Sound is it's it's a, it's a you know, fairly most of the time. I mean, it's, it can get real rough as anybody that's been out there knows. But those big boats can generally handle that, and they go out on Sunday evenings and they shrimp the whole time until Friday to come back in. They don't shrimp on weekends, and they bring they bring their catch in. So they're out just like the boats people are familiar with uh, the deadliest catch. They, those boats go out until they get their quota, and they'll stay out. Forever length of time they need to catch their quota, and they come in. In our Pamlico Sound, the boats go out. They'll spend five nights, day and night, nonstop, pulling, pulling, pulling. And um, the bycatch at times, and it, it, it changes year to year, depending on the production of Mother Nature on, on these species of fish. And those three are the, are the main targets. They're not targets, but they, and they're not targeted. They just happen to be caught in the nets. They're the main they, culprits they, of not, yeah. They're the bulk of it, but they're catching a hundred species of marine life uh, annually or impacted. A hundred species of marine life are impacted. The reason I know this is I served on the AC committee, the advisory committee for a year, three years ago. 
trying to find common ground to reduce the head rope side. That's the size of your nets that they're allowed to pull. We were trying to find common ground that we could live with. And there were five commercially uh, oriented individuals, four of us recreational slash resource oriented individuals, five four vote at the end of the year, we put up some recommendations and they were not voted on. And uh, I don't even think they were voted on. Um, and what came out of that year long um, um, period of time was to study the gear and see if the gear could be made. Well, the problem with gear, and I don't care how many uh, turtle excluders or uh, fish escape panels are in these nets, when you're targeting a shrimp that's that size, okay, and your your juvenile fish are that size, some are gonna, some are going to escape. Right. The bulk of them are, are going to go back into the tail bag and drown. These these little fish are not strong enough to get out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, bigger fish could probably work his way out. The little fish, no, they don't. And uh, and you go to our website, and I hope you'll share the website with your your guests. Definitely. Your, uh, and it's listed here. If you're viewing, you're, you can see it here. It's nccfrg.org. Uh, Good. Well, the, the website's got all the data, got all the, the, the numbers, and the numbers, the bycatch numbers, come from our own Division of Marine Fishery studies that they've done. We didn't make these up. Now, these are real numbers that, that have been extrapolated from, from the, the studies that have been done. And... Um, I can't believe we we're sitting here talking about it now that we've gone this long to allow this. Yeah. Um, so, but here we are. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so. uh, it's, it's about time that we, that we, you know, band together and do something about it. So yeah. I'm glad we are. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about, uh, what some of these other States have done as far as putting restrictions on kill nets and trawling and, and how has that kind of been a success for these States, um, that have done it before North Carolina has. Well, yeah, primarily what we're talking about right now are the trawling regs. And for the most part, uh, most trawling in, in the coastal states from uh, North Carolina south around to the Gulf states is strictly in the ocean. The only, the only exception would be uh, Louisiana. And the way they're made up, they're, they're, their coastline's made up. They have their uh, bigger boats are allowed off the beaches. And then inshore, some of their barrier islands, they allow a little larger net. And then inside, that would replicate pretty much what we have here in North Carolina. It's limited to a 50-foot head rope size. So okay. uh, we are the most liberal state in the union, in this country, to allow inshore trawling. Wow. Um, have we seen a, a big bounce back pretty quickly in those, you know, Louisiana and Florida and um, some of these other states when they when they – put these restrictions on the trawlers was it a pretty quick comeback for some of those species yeah i mean i think you know i think louisiana really is a testament is into what we could have here yeah if we just manage what we what we allow to be used in our inshore waters um that's that's really our our uh, argument here is that the, the the gear that we've allowed for the better part of 40 years 40 years has just been too large mm -hmm. for the habitat that we have allowed it to be used in pretty much um, well, how how quickly do you think we could see a bounce back in our in our spot and our croaker and our gray trout? Um, you know, if this were to play out for us um, the way we wanted it to, is it like a fifteen year or is it like a, a five ten no. year? Well, what what do you see being the the bounce back time period? Yeah, 
Great, great question. And I did ask that question to our former director of marine fisheries a number of years ago. I asked him, I said, uh, and this was a question, you know, if we were if we were to just shut it down completely for five years, would it take that long to see a, 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 a comeback from, from Mother Nature, from the, from the fisheries? And he said, absolutely not. He said, no, you number one, you wouldn't have to shut it down. You would just have to manage the gear like we're trying to get done now uh appropriately and, you, and within three years three years you wow. would see that's how fast it that's how resilient now this conversation was probably 10 or 12 years ago okay, okay? and so how much we've deteriorated the stocks you know we don't know yet we but but you know as we've seen with with the speckled trout spotted sea trout populations every time we have a cold stone event you yeah you know, the year afterwards you see tens of thousands of small fish uh she has a, a way of coming back uh, if you let her and we just haven't allowed that to happen in in the last better part of uh, 23 years we just haven't yeah that's that that's what i've heard from from so many sources and um it, it's it's crazy like you, you look at the salmon in alaska and it's you can take what is it over 50 percent of the fish that come back in the river at least for sockeyes i think that's right or 50 percent um, and it'll it'll repopulate at still a higher number or something like that. All right, all um, right. It's just as if that Mother Nature knows when populations get down, what needs to happen. Right. You know? And and I understand cycles of fish to a certain extent. I you know, certain fish do go through cycles, but as I said earlier in our conversation, um, that's fine if you believe in cycles, but you just can't keep ta- can't keep hammering the populations when they're down. Right. Yeah, yeah, there's got to be some breathing room to come back. And, and you know, along with the gear that we're talking about controlling, the management uh, set up in the state needs to change. We, we need to consolidate the two agencies and have it have the, especially the biological decisions made under one roof, not under two separate roofs. And, and we've seen that it just doesn't work with, with the species that um, leave salt water and go into fresh water and we can sit here and talk for days about that and that may be another blog at some point about that. right right uh so tell me this is is the idea kind of that we need to be taking less fish let me let me f- figure out how, to, how i want to wear this so the number of fish that we should be taking out of the water is let at a, at a rate to where we're taking I can't word this correctly, <laughs> but so we want to be leaving, you know, let's say we need to have leave 45% of the fish in the water or we need to take, if we take out 45% of the fish, you know, we have a growing number. So every year it's getting larger and larger, our population of, you know, speckled trout, gray trout, weak fi- or uh, croaker and spot. Um, is that kind of the idea you want to be taking? I I don't know why I'm struggling saying this. Do you understand what I'm saying, though? (laughs) Yeah, I do, and I think I can answer the question. I think the answer to it is what you do, and I've I've advocated this for the last 30 years, and I may have mentioned it earlier, you you put the the resource on a pedestal, and you you determine what levels, because the biologists are out all the time taking the the sampling, Mm -hmm. so they can stay up pretty close to what's going on, you know, if, if given... The opportunity to do it, the funding to do it, and then all this would come under a consolidation that would work the, uh, you know, everything that we've got in place to the best benefit of the resource. But you 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 establish what levels you're you're going to allow these populations to stay at, and then if you dip below it, which we often do, and we'll just use it 
the speckled trout, for example, you know, unlike any other fish, the spotted sea trout is susceptible to the cold stones, and you know about the cold stones. Right. And that's and they'll we literally lose who knows tens of thousands of them when we have a real severe winter in these creeks and and i, I shot some video a number of years ago showing what a cold stone because i'd never seen one was like in campbell creek and, and it's still up on on youtube um and to see these you know perfectly healthy fish dying right there because they they just were caught back in these creeks when they froze up and and over a period of time uh they don't necessarily die uh, if, if it warms up quickly, a lot of times they'll come back. But that's, again, the story, too. But, but when you have natural events like that happen, then you have to be able to step in immediately. And, and we've got a, a mechanism in place now that four, four coastal counties, if they report cold stones, the director will step in and close the season like we did several years ago. So I think, you know, you just, you, the biologists establish these levels that these populations can, can you know, need to be at. And then if we dip below them, then you close them. You close them for everybody. You don't right. close them just for the wrecks, and you don't close them just for the commercials. So it's a team effort is what I'm looking at moving forward with. It's a team effort, partners on the resource. We all get a chance to partake in the resource only if the numbers say we can do it, bottom line. Gotcha, gotcha. And that's what the biologists are there to do. I mean, we've got really good biologists in the state who have the ability to go out sampling either shock the shock boats where people people have seen out in these creeks net surveys they can set net nets and they can determine it pretty close to where we we need to be gotcha yeah that that makes that makes good sense and so it's i guess what i was what i was saying is the amount of fish we should be taking out of the water should should be uh less or should be at an amount where the population of fish overall is still growing um, yeah, and not at a, at a decline it's sustainable yeah so a, a good a good example a good example of the striped bass and and one of the biologists for the wildlife commission told me this years ago a healthy class of fish has got six to seven years of age classes within it six to seven wow. age classes within it so what that tells you when these fish go into spawn um you have a production mechanism within within that population of fish it can keep your popu you know, population going um so six or seven years that's a striped bass i'm sure that i mean i would love to think that at some point we could have six or seven years of spotted sea trout populations out there that's when you start seeing the gator trouts trout excuse me that um that we've seen here recently there there are quite a few big trout in the fishery right now yeah and so so i'm, I'm thinking in croaker and spot probably not as many years it depends on the lifespan of the fish too that's that's critical too. some fish like dolphin we know dolphin they don't like they don't live long you know they're they're short livers grow fast and uh you know they live what five or six years yeah dolphin being mahi mahi right mahi mahi yeah, yeah. yeah correct so each fish is going to be different again i'm not a biologist but right. i've been around it long enough and talked to enough of them to know a little bit about it and um uh, but the bottom line is we, we all want a healthy fishery for everybody. Uh, that's my bottom line. And um, we got to do what we got to do to achieve that. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, I, I think a good way to kind of wrap this up is, is to answer the question that so many wreck anglers ask. I mean, they're confused, one. So let's go with this first. They're confused on what to, where they can find information. So your website being a great, a great place for information, but if people want to know like where their voice can be heard and, and what they can do, can, do you have an answer for that or, or some good points of direction? 
Well, yeah, right now in the, in, the, in the situation we're in right now with our group and what we've done over the last uh, seven or eight months, the, um, the, the, our website, which I think you've got listed right now, is, is a great vehicle to go and read through. It's easy to understand. We took two months to build it. It, le- it lists what we feel like needs to be addressed, and that's what we've been asking yeah. the governor's office and DEQ, that, that we want to just sit down and put it on the table. Okay, uh, this is the time to do it. We're not going to study. We don't need to study anything. We know what we need to do. Okay, studies. One thing that the 1997 law did was push things down the road, kick kick the can down the road, if you will. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work anymore. We live in a we live in a world now that things ch- happen quickly. We need to be respond be able to respond quickly to situations, which that law does not allow it to do. And we need to get fisheries decisions out of Raleigh, out of the legislature, not Raleigh. Raleigh needs to be the base for the home base. Wildlife Commission needs to be the home base. But as to, to what people can do right now, go to our website, read it, understand it. Uh, when we put out things, um, I don't see a lot of participation in hearings and things like that right now, uh, because really, we at the end of the day, we want uh, the consolidation to be addressed, and that that's getting ready to be addressed. That's got to happen. Um, the efficiency that comes along with consolidation, both in the biological end of it, management end of it, the savings to the state economically, uh, enforcement, which which enforcement is very necessary, not only in the recreational, uh, the commercial industry, but also the recreational industry. Uh, we need to have the game wardens out there policing the rules. You know, if you can't go fishing and live by the rules, you don't have any business fishing in North Carolina. Right. That's that's my feeling okay agreed the, re- the resource belongs to everybody all right so with that said right now going if we go into court it looks like we are uh we're going to need some financial support and so on our website there's a button at the top that you can contribute it can be 25 dollars. it can be fi- whatever you feel like you can do financially and right now it's tough everybody's it's tough for everybody we understand that so Whatever you can give, the resource belongs to you. So right. be a part. That's one way you can be a part of this. Because if the state doesn't want to talk to us, there 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 are ways that we can be can have things heard and our, our concerns addressed. I think the states are eventually going to talk to us. There's no question that right. they have to. I mean, we're not going away. Uh, we represent literally thousands of anglers across the state of North Carolina who, just like yourself, are concerned with the health health of this fishery, and we just need to do something about it. We do. We really do. It's uh, it's it's become the point of no return. If we don't do something about it now, we're, we're, we're never going to be able to do something about it. So, yeah, there's um, no question. And so that website for people that are listening to the podcast and not watching, it's listed here if you're viewing the YouTube video on this lower right. third here with Joe's name on it. It's nccfrg.org. So definitely go check definitely. that out. And like I said earlier in this podcast, I'll link that in the podcast show notes as well as in the YouTube description. Um, and you can hop on there. Hit me up on Instagram or Facebook if you have any other questions on on how to get in contact with with uh, with this organization. And um, if you want to, you know, see if there's other ways that you can you can help out even even more financially or or, or anything like that. So, um, is there anything else that you feel like we missed that you want to share? No, I think right now we're we're a week out. Okay. From, uh, that where our 60-day notice, our letters of intent gives you 60 days to try to get together and talk this out, and, and we're just about at the end of that. And we plan to file the lawsuit as soon as those 60 days are over with. Um, 
the other exception would be if we could sit down and talk and, and see and make some meaningful um, um, movement in the right direction. Yeah. Um, and if you go on our website, you'll see the other things that we want to address. Uh, it includes some more gear, gear, uh, commercial gear, um, and also some other things. I, we won't go into detail here, but the website is, like I said, it's really easy to navigate. Yeah. Um, and it's um, if you if you're really interested in this situation, or if you're just now hearing about it, uh, you can get up to date real quick. We we put um, we put the facts up there for you uh, about just how. Um, you know, what we're dealing with. And yeah. this is not something that just cropped up, um, you know, since November, this has been going on for 30 years. Yeah. And, um, so I think we, earlier we, we pretty much covered the 97, uh, law and how it's just, it's basically taking us backward and not forward. And, um, it's a shame because if we had seen the results that, that some of the ones that drafted that originally before it was edited down, if those had been in place, we would be a whole lot better off right now than we are. Uh, I personally think we can fix it, but we just need to fix it now. I mean, it needs to happen, you know, in the, in the next, starting in the next you know, several months and moving forward. It, it's going to take, the consolidation, from what I understand, will take a couple of years. So that's, you know, in the spring, we need to um, really uh, be on the legislature to, to look in that direction. Yeah, sure. definitely. Definitely. Well, well, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And, and guys, uh, thanks for listening. We're definitely going to be having Joe back on to talk more about, you know, the updates of what's going on, how we continue, how we can continually help. And, um, you know, even if it's just a little bit of, you know, money as a donation, you guys, it's if you care about our fishery here in North Carolina, or if you're in another state and you, you know, you feel bad for us, <laughs> go ahead mm-hmm. and please help. Uh, please help with this. It's definitely something that, you know, is, is, I want my my son and my future kids to be able to get out in the water and, and catch these fish, and I want their kids to be able to do it. And I don't I don't want today to be the good old days. You know, I want right, you right. know tomorrow to be the good old days. So Absolutely. I don't think we have to just constantly be in a in a decline. I think we could we could be on an incline, and that's what I want to see. Um, and I thank you so much, Joe, for being you know someone on the forefront of this, just pushing for Absolutely. conservation in our state. So absolutely. And thanks for having me on today. And, and, um, yeah, look forward to seeing you again real soon. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We'll, uh, if you're in Wilmington sometime soon, uh, let me know and we'll, we'll get together and, and chat and, and, uh, and guys, thank y'all. Thank y'all so much for checking out this podcast. This one is not a, uh, a fishing tips and tackle and tactics one, but this is more important than that. Um, you won't have to be as dialed in on your tackle and your tips and your tactics if we can get our, our fish stocks up. So um, thank you so much, Joe. And, and as always, thank you all for listening and watching, and we will see you all in the next Eastern Current Fishing video. Later.